The following is a sermon from Gila Valley Baptist Church, and we pray this message strengthens your relationship with our Lord and Savior. We're located in Gila, New Mexico, and to learn more about our ministry or how to support our ministry, please visit gilavalley.org. Copy of God's Word to Matthew, chapter 16. We will be looking at verses 23 through 28. The main idea that we're going to see unfold in this passage is that the church is an assembly of people who know Jesus intimately, proclaim Jesus confidently, and obey Jesus sacrificially. Today is actually the anniversary of our local church. 61 years ago, our church was planted by First Baptist Lordsburg, and we praise God for that. This Sunday, we're celebrating the 40th anniversary of our independence as a church. They financially supported us for 21 years, and because of your faithfulness and your tithes and your offerings and your love for our community, for the last 40 years, we've been self-sufficient in reaching the Gila Valley. And so as you guys exit, our uh, secretary, Miss Brenda, has put together a canvas for us to sign on our way out as a gift to First Baptist Lordsburg. So would you take a moment as you exit this morning to sign the canvas and your family's name on that? Anyone ever go on a cruise before? I love going on cruises. I've only been on one, but I want to go back, and I want to go back. Like, how cool would it be if our whole church took a cruise together? <laughs> you guys are like, this new pastor is crazy. <laughs> I got an even crazier idea. What happens if it's free? And it doesn't cost any money. And whoever you invite gets to go on the cruise, too, free of charge. Right now, I want you to just stop and think. Think of a couple names of people that you would invite on this free cruise. Crazy. In our culture, we get so passionate about free things. But the truth is that Jesus offers salvation free of charge. And we get excited about the idea of a cruise, but the cruise, as awesome as a cruise is, is not as important as eternal life. And so that person that you were thinking about, hey, who am I going to invite on this cruise? Let me ask you, have you ever shared the gospel with them? Have you ever given them the free gift of salvation? Have you ever presented them with this gift? It's crazy when we think about it. Looking at the text following up to verse 23 and what we are studying today, Jesus is asking his disciples who the community says that he is. And you know they say, hey, I think some people say you're a good teacher. Some people say you're a prophet. Some people say you might be this biblical character or that. He pauses and he says, but disciples, who do you say that I am? And they say, you are the Messiah. You are the Son of God. 
And my prayer is that our community would answer that question with Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Messiah that was prophesied in the Old Testament. And the only way that our community is going to understand that is if the church body presents the gospel to them. In verse 18 of chapter 16, after Peter has this conversation with Jesus, or Jesus is having this conversation with the disciples, Peter says, hey, this is who you are, Jesus. You're the Messiah. You're the Son of God. And he says, exactly. On this rock, I will build my church. On this rock, I will build my church. And in probably 98% of our Bible translations, there we see the word church. But what's crazy is that word church there is actually more accurately translated as assembly. Assembly. In fact, there was a young man by the name of William Tyndale. And he was in the Catholic church and in the early times, you would go to the priest and you would go to the church and the church pastor, or priest, or bishop, or whatever you want to call them, would present the, what the Bible says to them. It was written in a foreign language, a language that we do not understand. And William Tyndale wanted to translate the Holy Scriptures into English. This made the church extremely upset. It made the leaders of the church extremely upset, actually to the point where they threatened to kill Mr. William. But when he translated the first Bible in English, about 50 years before the King James Version was translated, he translated this word, church, as assembly. And if we were to study our Greek Bibles, which some of us may have, we would see that this is true as well. The church is an assembly. See, if the church was a building, then the building can be destroyed. The, build, the church cannot be destroyed. The church is an assembly of God's people. Wherever we are, we are the church May we completely redefine church as we know it. Where we don't say, hey, we are going to go to church, but rather we have a mentality of being the church. So I'm going to go be the church at the cafe. I'm going to go be the church at the market. I'm going to go be the church to my neighbors. In this conversation with the Pope, that William's having, actually, William was martyred for what he did. For translating the Bible in English so that you and I can understand it. And the conversation that he had with the Pope, it ended in this quote. He said, I will cause a boy who drives a plow to know more of the scriptures than the Pope. How crazy is that, that we now, because of his faithfulness to present this in a language that you and I can understand, we're able to study this. And he says, hey, Pope, you're only teaching them what you want them to know and understand. And they're going to be able to study the Bible. So the guy out there uh, making hay, 
he's going to be able to study the Bible, and he's going to study the Bible more than you do because it is Christ who is our advocate. It is Christ who reveals those scriptures to us. See, we know that we don't have to go to a priest to confess our sins, or we know that we don't have to go to um, a church to hear God's word because we are the church when we assemble together wherever we are. Let's pray and we'll pick up in verse 23. Dear Father, as we study your holy scriptures this morning, I pray that you would convict us, that you would challenge us in our faith this morning, that you would completely disrupt our definition of church. And Father, that we would see the biblical definition of church and it would change the way that we share the gospel. It would change our relationship with you and it would change the sacrifices that we make for your glory. Father, would you reveal that to us this morning? And all God's people said, amen. Later this week, we will post on our social media channels a petition from change.org. The International Mission Board, the Director of Evangelism, Shane Pruitt, is leading a charge along with a church, or rather a college ministry of a church that is petitioning the Webster's Dictionary to redefine church in the dictionary. See, right now it does say that it's a building, and so there's a petition, and when I was able to sign it last week, there was already 15,000 signatures from a group of college students who studied this passage right here, and they said, I'm going to change what our world thinks about the church. How awesome is that? May we redefine our definition of we are the church Let's go and be the church to our community. I'm going to read verses 23 and 24. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on things of God, but on the things of man. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. We see in verses 23 and 24 that the assembly of God's people know Jesus intimately. Let me ask you, what is your personal intimate relationship with Jesus look like? What does your personal relationship with Jesus among your family look like? Does it exist? Do you have a personal relationship with the Son of God? We see here in verse 23, but he turned and he said to Peter, as Peter just confronted Jesus, he goes up to Jesus. Jesus says, hey, listen, I'm going to suffer. I'm going to go through this. I'm going to go through that. Actually, the elders and the priests, they're going to crucify me. And Peter says, no, absolutely not. That's not going to happen, Jesus. Hold up. And we see the same account happening in Matthew chapter 4 in a conversation between Jesus himself and Satan. And so he calls Peter Satan here. And Peter, oh my goodness, like he had some tough conversations with Jesus. But he says, get behind me, Satan. Could you imagine being called Satan by the Son of God and still being one of his disciples? But the reason being is because he was a hindrance towards 
God's holy plan. As a church, as a assembly of God's people, we need to do what God is telling Peter to do here. He says, don't worry about the things of man. Don't worry if I have to go and suffer. Me dying on the cross is going to change the world, man. But set your mind on things of God. May we as a church set our mind on heavenly things. Let's not focus about the approval of man. The approval of man is actually the absence of the approval of God. He says, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. And we look at Peter and we can judge Peter here. Like, Peter, man, you messed up. But how many times have we been a hindrance to God himself? And let me say this. If we aren't for Jesus, then we are against him. In fact, Jesus says, if you're going to deny who I am to your peers and your family and your coworkers, then I'm going to deny you in front of the Father. If we are not for Jesus, then we are against him. What are we afraid of here? Jesus isn't afraid to go on the cross. Jesus knows the glory that's going to come from the cross. Are you afraid of death? I'm deathly afraid of flying on planes. And if you don't know, every single week, this month and every other week last month, I've had to fly on a plane. And every time my stomach gets so sick, I actually think I have stomach issues right now because of the fear of me going on a plane tomorrow. But every time I go up, I'm like, all right, if I die, I mean... I'm going I'm to get to spend forever with Jesus. Christians are not afraid of death. Now we might worry about the things on earth here. We might say, hey, who's going to take care of my family? Who's going to do this? Who's going to love my spouse? Who's going to do all of these things? And that's okay. But when we actually think of it as Christians, if we have a personal, intimate relationship with Jesus, if we know Jesus intimately, then we know where our salvation is and our hope is in him. That is the goal. Are you willing to do whatever it takes to follow Jesus? Jesus was doing whatever it take, took to follow God himself here. Are we willing to do whatever it takes to follow Jesus? I want to backtrack a little bit. Remember that conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples and he says, Hey, who do you say that I am? Who you say Jesus is will determine everything about how you follow him. I'm going to say that again. Who you say Jesus is will determine everything about how you follow him. If you say that Jesus was a good teacher, then occasionally you might come into this quote-unquote building and you might listen to what God has to say occasionally. If you say that God was a good uh, person, then you would maybe want to be a good person and you'd follow Jesus and be like, hey, Jesus doesn't want us to do that, right? But if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, if you believe that God is the Messiah, that he sent his son Jesus to save us of our sins and that we needed that because it was the only way for a relationship with a holy God, then we know Jesus intimately. We have a personal, intimate relationship with Jesus. I'm going to 
put a little footnote on verse 25, and we're going to go over it, and then we'll come back to it later. So pick up with me in verse 26 and 27. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. See, if we know Jesus intimately, if we are a biblical definition of church, then we proclaim Jesus confidently. There is nothing more important than knowing Jesus. We're not afraid of telling other people about Jesus. We proclaim Jesus confidently. In fact, if you want to write in your notes a verse, I'd recommend that you would go and memorize it. It's Romans 1.16, and it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it's the power of salvation for all who believe. You have that power. You have that knowledge. You have that understanding How much do you have to hate someone to invite them to a free cruise and not invite them to eternal security with Jesus? It matters more than anything in this world. In verse 26, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? Thinking about the worldly things, sometimes that gets in the way. We want to continue to get the promotion after promotion. We want to get the new car and then the new car after that. We want to get the house and then we want to remodel the house and then we want to buy a new house. We want to gain the whole world, everything that it offers. But that is not Christianity. If we were to gain all of that and we don't have Jesus, then we have nothing. In fact, I would say that all of those things are actually God's. And so when we give one-tenth of what we have back to God, that's called the tithe. And we're giving it back to the Lord. We say, hey God, you've given us this. You've entrusted us with this. And so we return it back to you for your kingdom's work so that we can proclaim Jesus confidently. Jesus is going to return to judge us. He's going to return to judge us. We see this here. He's going to come with his angels and glory of his father. And then he will repay each person according to what he has done. It's very simple to take this verse and the next verse out of context. I do not want to do that. When we see in the previous chapter, sorry, in the previous verses of chapter 16... We see the conversation between Jesus and Peter. He says, on this rock I will build my church in verse 18. And then he continues on and he says, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you lose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. God's coming to judge us if we are in his family or not. He's coming to judge us not according to our good works, but according to the work that he has done 
on the cross? Do we proclaim Jesus confidently? Do we understand that the risk of not telling other people about Jesus is so that they will never have a relationship with Jesus? In fact, you have a relationship with people which I believe is ordained by God himself so that you can present the gospel to them because other people will not have that relationship with them. I'm going to tell you a sad statistic. And all statistics are made up, right? And I've made up the statistic, but I do have some backing in it. I believe that between 80 to 85% of our local community is not in a local assembly of people, of God's people. They're not attending church. 80 to 85% of Buckhorn, Gila, Cliff, and Mule Creek does not go to church anywhere. And so how do they know how to be the church if they don't gather as the assembly to understand this? We get so crazy passionate about going and telling people that have never heard about Jesus the gospel. But let me tell you, there are people that do not know Jesus in your backyard. There are people disconnected from the assembly of God's people in our local community, and it is a huge percentage. And so may we be a church that is able to go and to reach them and to share Jesus confidently. And just for some more information, I am counting in that statistic the four or five, four and a half, five churches in our community. And so whether or not they preach the same gospel that we preach, 80 to 85% of people do not attend the assembly of God's people. It is not our responsibility to save people. However, it is our responsibility to tell people how to be saved. The only way that you can lose in presenting the gospel to someone is by failing to do it. Uh, Pastor, I don't know what to say. Do you know what Jesus has done for you? Share that with them. God, the Holy Spirit, will give you the words to say. It is not your doing. It is not the pastor's doing to present the gospel. No, it's the Holy Spirit that's convicting the individual That is stirring up the soul of the individual to be saved. And it is your responsibility to share the gospel with them confidently. I'm going to say that again. It is not our responsibility to save people. However, it is our responsibility to tell people how to be saved. And so as assembly of God's people, may we proclaim Jesus and the story that he has for them and for us. Going back to verse 25, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. 
And then I'll pick up in verse 28. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. May we as assembly of God's people obey Jesus sacrificially. Sadly, we all probably know someone that is on the journey of everlasting damnation. We all know someone that does not know Jesus. What would it profit a man if he were to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? The second part of that verse, going back up to it, is or what shall a man give in return for his soul? What would you be willing to give up in order for your loved one to know Jesus intimately? That's a tough question. It has to do with obeying Jesus sacrificially. It is absolutely impossible to save our own life. We can't do it. It doesn't matter how rich you are. And you're like, hey, Jesus, uh, listen, I know that I didn't, you know, I, I did this and I did that. And can I just buy my way into heaven? I have everything the world has to offer. Can I just pay the price? And he says, no, you can't afford the price. Because the price is death. And it is Jesus who has died so that you and I may have a relationship with Jesus. And so obeying Jesus sacrificially is making sacrifices for the church. For the kingdom of God to be expanded. Let me ask you this. What do you... Not willing to give up to follow Jesus. What are you not willing to give up to follow Jesus? If we're not obeying Jesus sacrificially, then we're probably holding on to a certain area of our life that the Lord wants us to release to him. And we say, Jesus, I'll give you everything. I'll follow you. I'll be obedient to you. But don't look in this closet. Don't look at this area of my life, Lord, because I'm willing to obey you when it's convenient for me. No, the church obeys Jesus sacrificially. In fact, Jesus modeled this for us in Mark 10, 45. He says this, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus could have come to the world to get the approval of man but actually if you go back to I know we're going back and forth here Jesus tells his disciples in verse 20 of verse chapter 16 he says then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was Christ because he wasn't looking for the approval of man he wasn't looking for people to serve him in this time he was looking to serve you and I so that through his death on the cross, you and I may have a relationship with a holy God. He models this for us. In this passage, we see that we can die now. We can die to our passions. We can die to our worldly desires. We can die to the approval of man here. Or we can die later. May we die to ourselves. May we pick up our cross. And follow Jesus. 
this would actually be a definition to them of being executed. As William Tyndale was executed. You look at every single disciple with the exception of Judas was executed because of their faith. Pastor after pastor, church member after church member has been executed for their faith as they obey Jesus sacrificially because we're not afraid of death. Because we know where our home is. Our home is with our Heavenly Father, seated at the right hand of God. We may live for ourselves, but if we do, we will die. Or we can die to ourselves. And we will live. Are you willing to obey Jesus sacrificially? Are you willing to allow your children to obey Jesus sacrificially? In fact, when I was first dating Amanda, I told my mother-in-law, and Amanda already knew this, but I told her, one day I'm going to plant a church in Detroit, Michigan. I always wanted to plant a church in Detroit, Michigan. I happened to do some consulting with the health department and I saw the statistics of the city of Detroit and it was terrifying. And I told that to my mother-in-law and she said, you will not take my daughter there. <laughs> and so about five years ago, I consulted with a church planning organization and they said, Nathan, you cannot plant a church in Detroit, Michigan. And my heart was broken. They said, you will go and you will be murdered because of the color of your skin. And I was afraid. And some would say that I was disobedient because I chose my life over planning a church. And so in the time where it came and God put it on our hearts to come to Gila, New Mexico, I was very nervous to tell my mother-in-law. <laughs> Her response was, at least it's not Detroit. <laughs> so praise God for that and the working of the Holy Spirit. And maybe I was just young and immature, trying to find my own way. And through the wisdom of my mother-in-law, I was able to discern that this is where the Lord has for us. This is where the Lord has called us. And I think it's amazing that there's been a sense of peace. But let me ask you this. If Paul were to come before you, stand in this pulpit and say, hey, I'm going on a mission trip to Rome. Who wants to go with me? Are we willing to obey Jesus? Sacrificially. Are we willing to give up things that make us comfortable to follow Jesus? If you're comfortable, faith doesn't have a lot of room to work. I'm going to ask our band to come forward and lead us in a time of invitation. And if the Lord is working on your heart, if you do not know Jesus intimately, if you do not proclaim Jesus confidently, if you do not obey Jesus sacrificially, would you willing 
Would you be willing this morning to say, Jesus, I will make sacrifices to follow you. Jesus, I will no longer be afraid to share the gospel. I might be afraid when I'm doing it, but I know and I'm confident that you will be with me as I do it. Or maybe, Jesus, I do not know you intimately. I do not know who you are. If that's your story, would you come during this time of invitation? Have you taken up your cross? Have you died to yourself? Are you following Jesus? In closing, verse 28, truly I say to you, some are standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom coming. Some would say, and some would argue that Jesus was not the Messiah because Jesus said that his kingdom would come. But let me tell you this, in the proper context of this passage, you are the keys to the kingdom. And actually, before these people would pass away, the church would be born. And so some of you may know that today is Pentecost Sunday, the day that the church was planted in Acts 2. And so may we be an assembly of God's people who know Jesus intimately, who proclaim Jesus confidently, and obey Jesus sacrificially. Would you stand and come this morning?